Where are we going today? We want to die to our old self and take that to the cross and let our new story be written with the resurrection. What, what's so important about Jesus Christ? He gave us a message that fulfilled the Old Testament. His Sermon on the Mount was the Old Testament redefined, condemns the church as it's established, and says, stop being so legalistic. It is by grace you need to be saved. And then, instead of redefining the government and establishing this Messiah figure that's Jewish leadership, he redefines what it means for salvation, and he defeats sin and death, and he defeats that on the cross, which is great in itself. But then three days later, he rises again. And that is like, wow. I mean, that's pretty cool, but um, last time I checked, I haven't done that lately, so... Um, nor of any, any of us, right? Anytime that death is conquered, Christ is involved. I haven't ever seen it anywhere else where um, Christ isn't involved in, in, in rescuing people from, from the dead. So praise God for that, and um, that's what we're talking about, the resurrection this morning. We've talked about the death. We've walked it up to there, um, why it's important we have a Savior. Today is uh, praising God, and we're going to see it through a changed heart, changed mind, and change lifestyle. So, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, it reads like this. Early on Sunday morning, that's why we worship on Sunday mornings, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peeper, Peeper, Simon Peter, he would be a peeper in a second, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and he said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed, and for until, that, uh, for until then they still understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Then they went home. Wow. So John runs to the tomb. He gets there first, and I always wonder why he didn't go in right away, but I kind of wonder... At that point, he probably still saw soldiers laying there in this daze, or they had dispersed, or they were dispersing. So maybe he was protecting it so he could make sure uh, that nobody came in, saw that it was okay, there's nobody in there. Okay, I'm going to make sure it's okay. Peter, go in and check, and then I'm going to come in. Um, we don't really know, and that's just speculation. But when John saw, he believed. It doesn't say anything about Peter. It doesn't say anything about anybody else. But when John saw, he believed. And we have this picture of John outrunning Peter to get to the tomb. And when Peter, he gets there, he goes right in, which is impulsive Peter, which is me. <laughs> That's how I work. I work, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in there, I'm going to go, right? And so he saw the evidence. And Peter's 
Peter's like, well, I don't know. I'm going to go in and check it out for myself. And when he gets in there, it's either too good to be true or somebody stole the body. Right? It's either too good to be true and that he's risen again or there are thieves and somebody stole the body. So we got to kind of look at the evidence that John leaves for us here and the, um, the evidence we have is that the wrappings for his body and the wrapping for his head, they were still there. So why, if I'm going to steal a dead body, folks, I'm not going to take a ne- naked dead body out of there. That's not going to happen. I'm going to leave the wrappings on, okay? Yes, it's good to know. Yes, I'm, your pastor's not a freak. That's right. Yes, yes, he, Peter did. He went into the, in the tomb and he peeped in, right? So yes, we did. Thanks for reminding me of that. So he saw, he saw the evidence, the wrappings and the cloth and the head folded in the place. The body, if it were stolen, the thief would not have taken and, and unwrapped, taken the time to unwrap. He would have got in there and got out as fast as he could. Not only would that be, but he would not have folded the top cloth and set it down at the head. It just wouldn't happen like that. So what would a thief, the evidence points to a risen Savior. When John saw these things, he believed. He saw it and he believed. That's all he needed. His mind was changed. And soon his heart would be changed when he, Jesus appears to the twelve and things. Um, we don't get that story in John, so we'll have to do that some other Easter. Um, see you next year. Uh, God has called us to a higher standard, Christian. He has called us to a higher standard, and that is what an unbelieving world is looking for, right? First Peter chapter 2, the same Peter that went in, wrote this in verse 21 through 25. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. We, he never sinned and never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judged fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Once you were like sheep who were wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. We need to stop wandering and turn to our shepherd for protection. I'm going to read that one again because I have to listen to that one too sometimes. We need to stop our wandering and turn to our shepherd or protection. It is. A lot, Jesus compares us to sheep a lot in the Bible. Well, because honestly, sheep are dumb. And, and we, we tend to think we're a lot smarter than what we think we are, and um, we are not. So when we stray off, we get lost really quickly, and um, we need our shepherd to come bring us back to the flock. So we need to start walking in step with our Savior 
Jesus Christ, because he's our shepherd. He's our author and perfecter of our faith, right? And so when we walk with him in the light, um, as he is in the light, we'll have something amazing. So how should we walk? We should walk like this. It's the old saying, garbage in equals garbage out. Um, it's also a good, isn't it Petra had that computer brains? Yes. Um, it's a, that's a very good song written back in the 80s, and it's very uh, applicable today. Um, John took in the empty tomb, and he believed. For Peter, it took longer. John was there through all the death and resurrection. He was there to take Mary into his house from that day on. He was there at the cross. We know that. Peter denied Jesus, and he was not. So this was quite the shock when they say that Jesus, he's kind of out of the game. He's got to get back in the game. John had a mind and a heart ready to change. Peter couldn't get his mind past the fact that the tomb was empty. And I think we see that a little bit in 21, which we'll talk about next week. Um, He didn't catch the meaning right away. And he also, he missed the resurrection. And so when we allow bad inputs into our mind... It trickles into our hearts, and then it, it affects our lifestyle, doesn't it? So what, we're supposed to guard our hearts, guard our minds for the Lord. Set our minds on higher things, because when we let good inputs into our minds, it trickles also into our hearts and into our lifestyle. You want to see change happen in your life, White Rose, it starts with the Word of God. Start with the, the Gospel. Start with the Gospels. Read for 30 days. Just pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read them for 30 days. Then ask yourself, has that trickling in of God's Word helped or hurt your life? Put it to the test. Put God's Word to the test. It will always come back full. Always. Because our old lives... Our old self dies with the cross, but our new story is written with the resurrection. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18 is about Mary. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped to look in. She saw the two white-robed angels, the one sitting on the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? Asked the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have, haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and then she gave them his message. What we see in Mary right away, we see a changed heart. We see a heart of sorrow turned to joy. I got to see that in my mom this week as you guys have been praying for my dad quite a bit and things, and I appreciate that. We found out that his surgery, his best 
probably the best case scenario on his surgery and things. Uh, it wasn't cancer. It wasn't um, genetic thing. It wasn't any other things that they thought. It was just uh, radiation poisoning from a surgery in the past, and they cleaned up some things. He is on the mend, and that is exciting because instead of talking about time limit, now we're talking about um, spring planting, which is like, whoa, there. You just had back surgery, Dad. <laughs> but that's exciting. And as we go through these things, Mary can't understand, she can't see Jesus through her sorrow. And that's understandable. We must trade our sorrows for joy. And I think we give a little bit of an example here. Jesus gives an example. I think every time he comes to a funeral, he, he disrupts something. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. Um, Mary, Mary finding the tomb empty, immediately suspects thieves. She doesn't even, she doesn't even go to the, he's risen. Um, you've taken, have you taken him? Where have you put him? She wants to know. She isn't distraught. She doesn't even consider the man next to her to be Jesus. Her grief has taken her captive. And I know during this season, I know there's been grieving. There's been a lot of grieving in our congregation. We've had a lot of people pass away uh, lately through COVID, through other things, through isolation. And has grief ever taken you captive? How do we trade our sorrows for joy? It's easy to say, Pastor. It is hard to do, and I will say amen to that. But we can choose to focus on the loss in our lives, or we can choose to focus on what brings us or brought us joy. Here's an example. Over my short years on this earth, I have found it good to celebrate the loss of one's life once or twice a year. I think this is a very Jewish thing to do, and I think it is very applicable to for when it comes to grieving a loss of a loved one. Okay? The anniversary of their death, their birthday, if they're a spouse, an anniversary. Let the world know I am grieving the loss of my spouse, my loved one, my son, my daughter, um, cousin, brother, sister. Let the world know that you are grieving. We mourn, we cry, we weep over that. And the next day, we celebrate life with them. We celebrate the life that we had with them. We take and we remember. We pull out the old pictures that day and we remember the good times that we had. We remember the joy that was brought. Because we, we can get stuck in that sorrow or we can release it and let God allow us to remember the joy. That is really, really important. It's a very Jewish thing to do, and I think it's very, very healthy. You even see this with Jesus. Jesus, when he comes to Lazarus' tomb, does he walk right up to the tomb and say, Lazarus, dude, quit screwing around. Come on, come on out of there. No. He goes to the sisters first. He comes into their grief. He comes into their sorrow. He weeps with them. He lets them accuse him. 
he wouldn't have died if you were here. If you would have shown up, he would have, he's going to rise again. I know he'll rise again in the last day. No, no, no. He's going to rise again in about four minutes, right after we get done crying. Right? Does Jesus go to that tomb weeping? Yes. But his weeping, I really think, turns to anger. When he calls forth Lazarus out of that grave, he is calling him from death to life. This is what God promised from the beginning. When sin entered the world, God had to bring death into the world because he cannot be in fellowship with sin. And so he has to be able to separate sin from us. And the only way, the only tool he could use to do that is death. Our spiritual self never dies. And so Christ knew if I can redeem the spiritual side and let the earthly side, the physical side go, I can redeem these people. The way I'm going to do that is through my son. That's what God said. And so he is going to die as a payment for all. And that's what he's done here. And when we do that, we are able to focus on a life lived well. And it allows us to want to live well as well. I wonder if I could fit well one more time in there. It's a deep subject. Things like sorrow and bitterness, joy and love, they're battles won and lost in the heart, aren't they? They're battles won and lost in the heart. What we choose to focus on in the grief or sorrow is what molds our heart. And I would encourage you to focus on the joy and the love. And if you can't, then it might be time to get help with that. It might be time to find a community of friends who love you, and they happen to love Jesus too. I I know a pretty good one right here. Or friends and family to cry with or listen to. That totally helps, doesn't it? Helps my grieving. And if it doesn't, if you're still stuck, you may need to go to a trained professional counselor as well. There's no, no shame in that as well. It's important to deal with grief because it can be crippling. Our old self dies with the cross, but our new story is written with the resurrection. Praise God. John 20, 19, 23, he appears to his disciples, says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy, and they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus changed their lifestyle. We have a changed mind, changed heart, a changed lifestyle. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has appeared to his disciples. Wow. And here we have a great commission in the book of John. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, you can find the Great Commission pretty easy. It's easiest to find in Matthew. But here we have it in the book of John. It's a little bit more subtle. It says, As the Father has sent me, 
so I am sending you. He tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, and then he gives them the authority to, in this case, forgive sins. And I would say, I would add on to that for those who are repentant. Okay, I think that's a plot implied in this passage right here. Um, forgive sins to those who are repentant. As a Christian, if Jesus has really died and is risen to life, don't you think we need to tell somebody about it? If, if, the, if it really happened, isn't that the most exciting thing we could tell, talk about? I think so. Isn't, isn't this what Christ established his church to do in the first place? To go tell others about him? So what's holding us back? What does it take? I'd say it takes 20 seconds of courage. That's what it takes. And that's not... No, nah, I won't even go there. Uh, <laughs> it goes like this. I went to, I went to church this weekend. I rem, I'm reminded of how God fixes broken things like me. Jesus restored me to life with him, and now I have a joy and hope for the future. Do you have a story like that? 20-second testimony. That's all it takes. I went to church this weekend. I, I, I was reminded what Christ did for me. He took my broken heart and he made it new. And through Jesus, I have new life. Now I'm, I'm free. Do you have a story like that? If they do, if they say, yeah, great, tell me about it. Where, where, how's Jesus impact your life? If they haven't, you said, do you want to know more? And if you want to know more, that's where you got you, as a Christian, need to know more. Right? That's our responsibility. We've talked about that. We've used the three circles for evangelism tools. You may remember the bridge diagram. I've used, um, there's a God-shaped hole in, in everybody's heart. There, there's three right there that I can come off the top of my head to, to share the gospel message. Christian, you need to know how to do that. That is our responsibility. Our old self dies with the cross. Everything that we stand for, that we want, our needs, they die to the cross. But our new story is written with the resurrection. And it's a lens that we can see how Christ affects our daily lives. And when you can see it through his lens, it's easy to share the gospel message. It's easy. I still got lots of time, Amy. What are you looking at your watch for? Sheesh, scaring me. It's like, oh my goodness, is he ever going to get to point four? I did. I'm, I'm at point four. Let's go to the scriptures. 24 through 29. It's all right. I only called out Amy because I know she's listening. All y'all are, are falling asleep from breakfast this morning. That's not true either. That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> CJ's up here snoring, sawing logs. Uh, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. I always wonder why, why he was nicknamed the twin. Who's, who was his twin? Did they call him the twin because he copied Jesus so much? I don't know, maybe. Um, Thomas is the one that tends to be called Doubting Thomas, right, from this story here. He's also the guy that um, 
tends to over-exaggerate things a little bit. Like, uh, Lazarus is going to go die. Well, let's go die with him. Um, maybe he was just in tune to the spirit a little bit better than the average bear. And so that allowed, that took him a little bit more melancholy than the average bear. But um, he's deep in the sorrow. He is deep in the sorrow. And I think that's what, where we find him right here. Okay, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hands on the wound in his side. Wow, that's a bold statement, I'm going to say right there. And I'm grossed out already. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hand on my wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Wow. That's a pretty strong word from the Lord right there. Let's continue on. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And then we have the call to worship this morning. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You ever wonder why you pray in Jesus' name? Amen? Right there. It's another. There's other places in the Bible. But the power of Jesus' name gives us the authority to go to God the Father. Okay, So when you pray, you should pray to Father God or the Lord. Many times your pastor prays to Jesus. That's not necessarily correct. You're supposed to pray to Heavenly Father or the Lord. And you're supposed to pray in Jesus' name because we're petitioning the Father through the Son. Okay, That's why. That's, I think that's important to know. And I, I didn't know that until... I asked, why do you pray in Jesus' name? We just do. And uh, the pastor at Faith Missionary Church actually told me that when I was about 17 or 18 and kind of cocky. <laughs> um, of course, I'm not anymore. <laughs> You're right. Change obedience. Change obedience. You see Nicodemus. No. You see Thomas. You don't see Nicodemus anymore. Uh, he was in the last chapter. You see Thomas drowning in his sorrows, drowning in his, maybe what he thought could have been. We could have taken Rome. I know we could have done it. I was ready. I had it, everything. He's changed his obedience. He defeated sin on the cross, clear back to Genesis. We heard those guys on, on the road to Emmaus. They were talking about it, and he explained all through the scriptures where he was and how he could do this. Thomas had lost faith. He, had, he was having a hard time believing Jesus defeated death. He heard it, but he was having a hard time believing it. After all, death is undefeated champion, right? He hasn't lost a human yet, not until Jesus came. Maybe a couple of the prophets. He had Elijah and Elisha. I think both raised somebody from the dead, but not too many more than that. Not until Jesus appeared with Thomas in the room does Thomas have his faith renewed. Thomas then 
makes an amazing declaration. What's he do? When he sees Jesus, Jesus says, here, put your hand here. Stop doubting and believe. His proclamation, he says, my Lord and my God. That is, he's just sold out to Jesus right there. You've changed my world. I am going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to change my obedience. I'm going to obey you from now on. Because only the Messiah could defeat death. Then Jesus speaks to us today through this statement to Thomas. You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. We can't see Jesus anymore today, can we? We have some pretty good proof in his word. We have evidence in in other historical. Josephus wrote that there was a prophet named Jesus, and they claimed to be the son of God. So he either was or wasn't. So we got to look at other evidence. That brings us to the gospel. That points to Jesus that he was. There's other things out there, too, that do that. When, it, when it's dark, when Jesus died on the cross, that was a world event. You can find that in other places in history written around the world, not just in um, Jesus' time and Jesus's, or the, the Holy Scriptures. That brings us to the why. Why did John write his gospel? Why did he do it? We already have three other gospels, don't we? We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that's good enough. That gives us stories. Jesus, or John, doesn't even fit well with the others. He writes about other things that, that they don't have here. John's gospel was written to show us how God fulfills his promises to his people, and he fulfills the festivals. So if you look at the Jewish festivals in the Bible, or in Jewish tradition, and they are in the Bible, they're in the Old Testament, you will see that each event that Jesus fulfills, almost all of them happen at a festival time in the book of John. And it shows that he's the light of the world. He's the, um, the bread of life, and he's all the things that, that need to be fulfilled as well. Those two are the import, two very important holidays. He's the Passover lamb. That's another one. Um, he fulfills the Jewish traditions as the Passover lamb, the light of the world. He's the tabernacle in the wilderness. He's the manna from heaven. He's the heir of David, and he is the son of God. Christ defeated death for you and I. Amen? If he doesn't, we wouldn't be here. Satan wouldn't allow it. We'd be defeated already. We wouldn't, even, we wouldn't have got this far. I can... Absolutely guarantee that. He then invites us, Jesus invites us to to live for him by sharing his good story. As Christ followers, that is our responsibility. If we want to see a changed neighborhood for the Lord, we need to be proclaiming the Lord through our actions and our lifestyles. By walking in obedience to its teaching. By this, the world may know the love of Jesus. When we go to church on Sunday... And do our own thing on Monday? That's a testimony as well, isn't it? It's not a good one, but it's a testimony nonetheless. And when we do our own thing and become our own people, I think that's just what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. We have a responsibility to show Christians, show that we are Christians by our love. We are Christ followers. 
We have a changed heart, changed mind, and changed lifestyle. You have an unbelieving husband or spouse at home? You show them through your actions, your sacrificial actions. That will, that's what God said. We'll bring them to the Lord. It says that, and Paul writes that in the Corinthians, I believe. If you find yourself here today and you're not a Christian, well, you came to the right place for one. Um, and I would, I would encourage you to keep coming. Put us to the test. Put us to the test as a body of believers. Are we perfect? No. I'd like to say yes, but only Christ is perfect. And we can only show glimpses of perfection here at White Rose. And so when we come together in unity and praise the Lord, we get to see that a little bit, a little bit of perfection in here. So I ask, ask you to do this one thing, put us to the test. If you know that someone, know of someone before they were here at White Rose, look at their lifestyle before and look at it now. How has it changed? Has it changed for the better or for the worse? I know mine's changed for the better, so um, I hope yours has. Maybe some of this that's come back recently to the Lord, has, it, has their life changed for the better or for the worse? And if it hasn't changed at all, then you could probably say for yourself, through their fruits, they're probably not a Christian. And I don't want to be the judge there, but your actions speak for themselves, don't they? I know mine do. That's hard sometimes. Praise God for his grace. Praise God that he continues to forgive us even when we stray away, right? Praise God that he uh, longs to have a relationship a lot more than I want to have a relationship with him. He is always pursuing me. If someone has changed that you know for the better for Christ, you need to ask them, how did how'd you do it? What's it about? White Rose attendee, if you've just heard that test and you are not living a life that's pleasing to God, you have a burden to sin to ask for forgiveness before we take communion. Man, I'm just, I'm just picking on the Christians today, aren't I? Well, God has expectations for us. As followers of Christ, we have to listen and obey. It's like what we tell our kids when they're 2 to 20. Listen and obey. It doesn't mean anything if you listen. Yes, I know I'm not supposed to put my garbage on the couch. And then the wrapper stays right on the couch. They listened, but they didn't obey, right? So then we get out the corrector. I haven't done it for that, but I have gotten the corrector out. Yes. So that's important. So God does the same thing to us. When we put our garbage on his couch, he can't have that. He's got to be separate from sin. So he says, dude, what's up with this? I'm sure God says dude to me all the time. And, oh, did I leave that there? That's not acceptable for him. I need to ask for forgiveness. There's angst between me and God. In a sense, uh, there's red on my ledger, right? And I need to clean it up. Can I clean that ledger up? No, I can't. Did you hear that? You cannot clean up your own ledger. Only Christ can. Cleans up the couch. It's like your debts. 
So your sin. Okay? So only Christ can clean up our sins. Amen? And he does it willingly. All we need to do is surrender to that. Our old self dies with the cross, but our new story is written with the resurrection. Let me pray and then we'll start communion. If the elders want to come forward, that'd be great. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we can come um, together and praise the Lord. You are an awesome God. We love you. We praise you. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us. When we turn to the right or to the left, we find it and try to make our own path. And we try to do our own thing. We ask that you would allow us to walk in your ways as, and walk in the light as you are in the light. Don't let us miss this adventure that we are, you've sent our way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. Forgive us, Lord, when we stray away. Um, bring us back to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We got those newfangled cup thingies. Um, so what we do with those is we will open, there's two tabs on them. Um, the top cellophane tab you have to open up, and that gives you your little wafer, and then you pull the whole tab, and that gives access to the juice that's in there. Okay. When we go and do this, we'll partake both of the elements together. Okay, so that's a, a little bit of instruction as we go. As we've changed that um, there. Matthew 26, 26 through 30. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. He took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink the wine again until the day I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. Then he sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. As we come before the Lord this morning, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in your heart, you are more than welcome to take communion. If you have not done that, I would encourage you to let the plate pass you. Go ahead, gentlemen. Because Christ takes this very seriously. It's a reminder of what he did on the cross for us. We have, take the opportunity to ask the Lord for forgiveness now as you're opening up. Ask the Lord for forgive your sins Clean the slate.